You're listening to a Fat Cat Media podcast. This is The Road Less Travelled, presented by Nikki Shea. The Road Less Travelled. Welcome to the Road Less Travel podcast. It's Nikki Shea back in the seat with you. An Australian podcast which features and documents and captures the Australian spirit of travel, discovery and adventure. Welcome along. Welcome to the Road Less Travel podcast where together over the next little while we'll experience adventures all around Australia with glimpses into a world that has faded into history, the people, the places and the ways of life. That's a bit about the background of the show and there's always a story involved each week. We're out caravanning, four-wheel driving, fishing, camping, gold detecting cooking and exploring places history and visiting destinations all rolled into each episode of the road less traveled it's a fully self-funded independent podcast we'd love your support on patreon and if you've got something that you think we should feature review discover or explore simply drop us a line you can do that by emailing fatcat at iinet.net.au you can give me a call or sms on 042-752-8467 and you can send us a message on our facebook page or instagram page as well just simply search for the road less travel podcast and on instagram it's the road less travel podcast 2021 a bit about my background someone said well what makes you an expert well not much for over 25 years um i was the motorcycling in in the motorcycling and motorsport media and right rewinding right back um i think i was about 13 or 14 when our family sold up house business got a caravan four-wheel drive and headed around australia almost i guess you could say as gypsies uh, picking up work along the way meeting all walks of people and life and visiting hidden places um, i was schooled on the road by correspondence and educated by life's adventures and a generation of tales and stories to be shared so traveling's in my veins and australia is such a vast landscape waiting to be visited and explored and then re-explored again so that gives you a little bit of a combination of what we're all about with the Road Less Travel podcast and a little bit about my background as well. You can find out more by jumping onto the website fatcatmedia.com.au. That's fatcat with a P-H-A-T-C-A-T at fatcatmedia.com.au. Don't forget to do keep reviewing, sharing and liking the show through uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio and wherever you get your podcast feed. We really appreciate your feedback so don't forget to keep sending that in and sharing the page of um, our our Facebook page as well. Really appreciate it. This week though... We are going right back in time, and I guess when you think about Australian explorers, you've got your Charles Sturt, you've got your my friend Matthew Flinders, you've got Captain James Cook, um, you've got uh, Edward John Eyre, you've got uh, John McDougall Stewart, you've got so many different explorers like art but the ones that always sort of come up of course are Burke and Wills so I thought this week that we'd get, go right back to where it all started with Burke and Wills featuring this week on the Road Less Travel Podcast. <laughs> And this week, I guess a bit, a bit about the background, when you, if you are in Melbourne, um, for us when we go anywhere towards Bendigo or from our destination to the city, we always go through um, Royal Park down near the zoo in Melbourne and there's a dirty great big monument statue on the left hand side as you're heading towards um uh, Caulfield and Mooney Ponds that way. So I had the opportunity the other week um, because Royal Park during World War Two was named Camp Pell and I, as you know I like my uh, military history so I did a little bit of research and wandering around, not aimlessly, I had a purpose of wandering around Royal Park and Camp Pell and stumbled upon this dirty great big monument which was actually a monument to Burke and Wills. In 1860 Robert O'Hara Burke and William John Wills they left Melbourne aiming to to cross the 
continent from south to north, and this monument actually marked the location of where the expedition left. Now, a bit of background about them. Robert O'Hara Burke, William John Wills, John King and Charles Gray became the first Europeans to cross Australia south to north when they reached the Gulf of Carpentaria in February 1861. That's February. We must have been dirty hot. Oh. The death of Burke and Wills and Charles Gray during their return led the expedition to sort of, I guess, sort of be almost a myth in Australian culture as heroic as a heroic failure, and it ultimately prompted the discovery of vast grazing lands, enabling further European settlement of the interior of Australia. At Cooper Creek on the 26th of June 1861, Robert O'Hara Burke wrote, I hope we shall be done justice by... We fulfilled our task, but we were not followed up as I expected, and the depot party abandoned their post. King has behaved nobly, and I hope he will be properly cared for. So in 1860, much of the interior of Australia uh, remained uncharted, and some Victorians made wealthy from the gold rushes were prepared to fund sort of exploratory expeditions. They had uh, three goals in mind, which was for scientific discovery. They were to be seeking new grazing land and also to be looking to find a route for an overland telegraph line. South Australian explorer John McDougall Stewart had already discovered productive grazing country during several expeditions from Adelaide to north of Lake Eyre by the late 1850s. So the Victorian government and the Royal Society of Victoria, spurred on really by a desire to maintain Victoria's position as the most advanced colony, funded the Victorian Exploring Expedition and set it the task of being the first to traverse Australia from south to north. The expedition was one of the most expensive in in history at that time. It was led, as I said, by Robert O'Hara Burke, who was an Irishman with no exploration experience or skills in surveying or navigation. It was lavishly equipped with items, including 50 gallons of rum to revive tired camels. There were 27 of them and an oak table. Don't ask me why there was an oak table. The expedition's departure from Royal Park in Melbourne on the 20th of August 1860 was a public spectacle watched by about 15,000 people. Now, the expedition reached Menindee near Broken Hill in New South Wales on the 23rd of September in 1860. Burke decided to leave most of the equipment there while he led a small sort of advance party to Cooper Creek in western Queensland to establish what they named a depot. Burke left Menindee, a local man there called William Wright, he left him in charge of supplies with instructions to bring these to Cooper Creek soon. However, three months passed before Wright actually left Menindee. Burke's party arrived at Cooper Creek on the 11th of November 1860. Just over a month later, he divided the exploring party again, setting off with Wills, King and Gray for the Gulf of Carpentaria. Now, William Bra was left in charge of the depot with instructions to wait three months for their return. About on or, They reckon on or about the 9th of February 1861, the four explorers reached the Bino River near the Gulf of Carpentaria. Now, Burke and Wills left the other two and tried to walk to the ocean, but they were simply unable to find their way through the mangrove swamps, and the party started their return journey to Cooper Creek on the 12th of February 1861. On the 17th of April in 1861, four days before reaching their destination, Gray died from malnutrition. Now, Wright's supply party finally left Menindee rather, for Cooper Creek on the 26th of January, 1861. Can you imagine how hot it was on the 26th of January? 
Extreme heat and illness that forced the party to rest at the Bolu River where Charles Stone, William Purcell and Ludwig Becker, they died of malnutrition and dysentery between the 22nd and the 29th of April. On the 5th of June 1861, William Patton also died. Meanwhile, back at the Cooper Creek Depot, Bra, who had been waiting four months for Burke's return, decided to return to Menindee on the 21st of April 1861. Before he left, though, he buried a cache of food and a note stating his intention at the foot of a coolabar tree. Into the tree, he engraved the directions, Dig three feet northwest, April 21, 1861. And that tree has entered Australian folklore as the Dig Tree. About nine hours after Bra departed, Burke, Wills and King arrived. They found the cache, which had enough supplies for a month, but instead of following Bra back to Menindee or staying at the depot, on the 22nd of April 1861, they decided to head southwest to try and reach a station at Mount Hopeless. Burke, Wills and King buried a message of their own under the dig tree, explaining their plans. They were careful to leave no trace that they had been there so that the Aboriginal people would not dig up the letter. Their efforts were so successful that Bra, who encountered Wright's supply party on the 29th of April, had returned with Wright to the Cooper Creek Depot on the 8th of May. He believed that the dig tree cache remained undisturbed and that Burke's party had not returned from the Gulf. Bra, too, left no indication of his visit so that when Wills doubled back for one last look at the depot on the 27th of May 1861, he found nothing to suggest that anyone had returned to search for them. Burke and Wills died within a few days of each other at the end of June in 1861. Wills died alone, having urged the other two to leave him and keep searching for the local Aboriginal people who'd been generous with their food and hospitable since the expedition had arrived at Cooper Creek. Up to this point, those overtures of cooperation had been met with suspicion and some sometimes sort of hostility by the explorers. And King eventually found the local people who accepted, accepted him into their community and they actually went on to save his life. In his 1861-1862 testimony of the local people, King said that they appeared to feel great compassion for me when they understood that I was alone on the creek and gave me plenty to eat. Burke and Wills died of malnutrition, which was accelerated by the onset of beriberi, which is, of course, that deficiency of thiamine, vitamin and B1. The explorers contracted beriberi by eating nardoo, which is a clover-like plant which contains an enzyme that breaks down the thiamine. Nardu was regularly eaten by the local Aboriginal people. They carefully, though, prepared the plant to eliminate that enzyme and give it to the explorers. Burke and Wills, however, ate the plants raw. On the 15th of September in 1861, Wills and Burke were also found and buried. Their remains were later recovered and reburied at Melbourne. They were given as Australia's first state funeral on the 21st of January 1863 and they have a dirty great big memorial in the Melbourne General Cemetery in Carlton. So the relief parties from Victoria and Queensland and South Australia who were sent out to search for Burke and Wills, they discovered valuable new grazing lands which resulted in increased European settlement of the interior. Now while Burke, Wills, King and Grey were the first Europeans to cross Australia from south to north, it was actually Stuart who found an all-weather route from Adelaide to the Afrira Sea in 1862. Now I guess one of the most frequent questions uh, asked relating to the expedition of Burke and Wills is where did they actually 
actually go? And is there a map that we can follow the journey with? And the simple answer really to the to those questions is that nobody knows exactly where Burke and Wills went and there's never been a map published which contains enough information to really accurately follow the track of the expedition. The records of the expedition are quite extensive. However, those records are incomplete and scattered through a number of different repositories. Gerard Hayes of the Manuscripts Australia collection of the State Library of Victoria wrote, anyone hoping to trace the footsteps of Burke and Wills must resign themselves to acquiring at best an approximate idea of whereabouts of the explorers. The State Library of Victoria is often visited by prospective outback travellers who are confronted by a massive material which is reluctant to yield its secrets to all but the most determined researcher. And it's best to start with two blunt facts about these records. They are incomplete and to some extent they are are unreliable. The uncertainty that surrounds the passage of the expedition still continues to fascinate people even a century and a half after the event and there are currently a number of researchers and historians attempting to solve the mystery. When we come back we'll break down some of the destinations that you are able to follow on the route of Burke and Wills from south to north. Back with more in just a moment. You're listening to the Road Less Travel Podcast. Fat Cat Media's Nikki Shea is available for seminars and motivational speaking. Be inspired. We really enjoy and receive a lot of satisfaction and overwhelming feedback in conducting motivational seminars. Using her privileged position of profile, Nikki's openness and willingness to share her struggles with cancer and mental health over the past decade will inspire you. This involves giving motivational speeches and inspiring people to challenge themselves and become better at what they want to become better at. Relying on years as a business owner in motorsport and the industry, plus in the media, Nikki will challenge and transform her audiences. A motivational and inspirational speaker has the power to change the room. Nikki Shea is an inspiring speaker, guaranteed to invoke tears of laughter, joy and empathy. For more information, give Nikki a call on 042-752-8467, email fatcat at iinet.net.au or visit the website fatcatmedia.com.au. Fat Cat Media offers consultancy and advice if you are a motocross racer, motorcycle racer, trying to get ahead in the sport, or perhaps you have a business in the motorcycle industry or you're hosting an event, a stage show, or a race meeting. With over 25 years industry knowledge and experience, we can help on a variety of platforms, whether it be as a racer or for those within the motorcycle and motorsport industry. We help you individually and your event with clear and strong strategic plans with direction on how to achieve your goals as a racer or hosting an event within the industry. For more information, email fatcat at iinet.net.au. Welcome back to the Road Less Travel Podcast. This week we are talking about and following somewhat in the footsteps of Burke and Wills. And I bet Burke and Wills, which they had this little product, it's the a little travel buddy that you might have seen that we've been featuring on some of the videos that we've had up on our Road Less Travel podcast Facebook page. And I guess we can say fast food takes on a new meaning with the travel buddy. It's a portable lightweight 12-volt oven that can cook, bake and warm foods while you travel. All you need to do is load the travel buddy up with your pies, pasties, sausage rolls, pizzas, hot dogs or a pre-prepared meal and plug it into your car's cigarette lighter socket, set the timer and while you're driving or parked your meal is being heated or cooked. It features um, heat um, 
a meal on the move. It's fitted with two-hour timer to protect from battery failure. Uh, it's a 12 volts uh, DC 6 amper, insulated stainless steel, manufactured and designed in Australia. And it's 170 degrees Celsius plus after the initial warm-up. And it is a fantastic little product. We absolutely love ours. It's a sturdy oven that you can take anywhere, uh, and that stainless steel makes it easy to use and to clean as well. And if your vehicle has a socket for a cigarette lighter, then there's nowhere that the travel body can't go. You can heat a meal while you travel. It doesn't matter if there's no shops around. Your meal will be ready when you arrive. And the travel buddy's heating temperature reaches approximately 170 degrees Celsius plus after that initial warm-up. It's ideal for 4x4 activities, camping, tradies as well, uh, people in transport, caravans, boats, tourings, uh, farmers, etc. as well. You can find it. Just jump onto the website, uh, which I think is Travel Buddy, and they also... Um, they, I think it's uh, the website is uh, 12 to 24 voltovenscomau and click on Travel Buddy. And speaking of Travel Buddy, you might have seen that in uh, a later, a little bit of slow down, Nikki, I'm getting excited, speaking about Travel Buddy and food, on uh, a recent trip that uh, I ripped up to the Golden Triangle in Victoria and I decided the night before, make some homemade sausage rolls and whack them in the Travel Buddy. So I thought, let's talk about the homemade sausage rolls. It is... Super easy, 12 ingredients, which is four sheets of, you know, that ready-rolled puff pastry that you can buy in the freezer section of your supermarket. Get, get a few sheets of that. Tablespoon of milk, one egg, 500 grams of mince, whether you want veal mince or beef mince, pork mince, whatever. 500 grams of sausage mince and one small onion, just finely chop that up. One small red onion, finely chopped if you want to do that too. A medium carrot, which is really coarsely grated. You can whack in three cloves of garlic, which are crushed quarter of a cup finely chopped uh, flat leaf parsley if you want to use that and one and a half tablespoons of tomato sauce a quarter of a cup of Worcestershire sauce and you are ready to go preheat your oven at home um, line two large baking trays with baking powder you thaw out the puff pastry and while you're doing that combine the milk and the egg in a small jug uh, whisk it up, combine with the veal mince, the sausage mince, the onion, carrot, garlic, the parsley and all those sauces in a bowl and then season with plenty of salt and pepper and divide the mixture into probably, I reckon, eight. I use new six. Um, then you lay a sheet of pastry on a flat surface. You cut the sheet into half horizontally and you spoon about an eighth of the mince mixture down along the long side of the puff pastry half, shaping mince into a long sausage shape. And then you just simply brush the opposite long edge with a little of the egg mixture. Then roll up the pastry to enclose that filling and finishing seam side down, you brush the top of the, it resembles a log, with egg mixture and cut it into six short pieces. Place the pieces seam side down on the prepared tray, about two centimetres apart, and then you follow that up with the remaining mince mixture, pastry and the egg wash. Bake for about 25 to 30 minutes or until golden brown and cooked through and then you can heat that up in your travel buddy so when you stop for morning tea for lunch or afternoon tea or tea you've got your sausage rolls ready to go simple homemade sausage rolls that i certainly enjoy in the travel buddy if you've got a, a recipe for the travel buddy maybe you've got a recipe for the camp oven or the caravan oven or whatever you're cooking with drop me a line fatcat at iinet.net.au send me a private message on our facebook page to get through to me as well or 042 752 8467 love to hear from you and love to grab those recipes too now before we went to the break we we're talking about the um, retracing the steps of the Burke and Wills expedition if you venture deep into Queensland's interior you can be like us in search of the lost graves of the Burke and Wills expedition 
Now, this would have to be one of the loneliest graves in Australia, and it's hidden too by the travesty of history, the remoteness of the Australian inland, and the vastness of one of the biggest privately owned cattle properties in the outback. And to get there, it isn't a walk in the park either, with our Holden, Colorado, stirring up to deep bulldust, which billowed behind us like heavy dark smothering cloak of fine grey powder. Now, the track we were following was more of a set of cow pats and a four-wheel drive route across the flat, dry, baked soil plains, and none of the tracks shown on either of the GPS units or maps had any similarity to the tracks on the ground. That was probably not surprising as we were on the floodplain of the Bulu River in southwest Queensland and any track lasts only as long as the next silt-laden flood which oozes down this outback river. We came to a dam or turkey nest tank on its high banks, a marker looking more like a small masaya on those flat lands. Here amongst the churned up dust of a few thousand cattle, most of whom were milling around us, we lost the track completely. So we circled the enclosed water point a few hundred metres out from the tank, bumping across the crab hole country before picking up the track once more and this time heading east to the distant tree line of the main channel of the Bulu River. Now, we'd received permission from Bulu Down Station to visit the grave of Dr Ludwig Becker, one of the scientists and the artists of the Burke and Wills expedition, and now we were trying to find this lonely grave. In fact, two other members, like we know of that fateful expedition, they were also buried here, Charles Stone and William Purcell. All of those, not all of those, those guys have... Those guys had rather died from the effects of the scurvy and um, all had been part of the supply party that had been told to follow Burke's main party up to Cooper Creek from Menindee. But this slower moving band of men and animals had struck difficult times and they'd been relegated to a forgotten sideline really in Australian history. So we'd first phoned the manager and then visited the homestead and after receiving a briefing on the biosecurity measure that we needed to follow, we were given a rough mud map and directions to the grave. But like most mud maps, which make perfect sense to the person who drew them for you, you need to take them with a grain of salt and add a bit of ingenuity and guesswork and a luck to make them work. On the ground, our route swung north, then back to the east where we floundered amongst some of the scrub before we picked up the main track once more and turned south for the final bumpy drive to the Curulitio waterhole. Now on the edge of this long muddy stretch of water the supply party became trapped here for about a month in March to April of 1861 only moving on when the Aboriginal bands began harassing them. Now today, a small fence grave lies a short distance from the waterhole beside the trees that line the riverbank, and while the barricade the explorers had built for their protection from the Aboriginal attack, sadly there's no sign or trace of it. It's a lonely, isolated spot. It's rarely visited by anyone, but we were happy that we'd made the effort and had a look and paid our respects there. After checking out the nearby drying waterhole, well down from its maximum level, but still with a lot of water in it, we backtracked to our camp on the Bulu, near where today's main dirt road crosses the channel, and we watched the sun sink into oblivion. We'd left, Mum- we'd left Melbourne a couple of weeks previously, and we'd battled wet, slippery roads for much of our time through north-central Victoria and then across the border into New South Wales. Now from Balrenal we took the old Pungal Mail Road before skirting along the Darling River to Poonkerry and then on to Menindee, which is the first town on the Darling and the oldest European settlement in western New South Wales. Of course, the town has a couple of pubs, which make famous by being the Maidens Hotel, where Burke esconded himself for a few days while splitting his expedition. 
The rest of Burke's party were camped at the Pamarumu Creek, near the lake of the same name, well away from the attractions and the vices of the hotel. So we decided we'd camp at the lake as well, where there are dozens of spots along the water's edge to enjoy, but with today's speed of transport, we slipped back into the Maidens for a beer and a meal one night. At Menindi, the grave of one of Burke and Will's Cameliers can now be found. Dost Mohammed had been recruited by George Landells when he was organising camels from India for the expedition. Mohammed and three other camel handliers uh, accompanied Burke and Will's from Melbourne and Mohammed had gone to Cooper Creek in the depot there with the main party. Returning from the dig tree with Bra, who'd been in charge of that depot camp at the dig tree, Muhammad stayed at Menindi to look after the camels and the equipment that William Wright had also brought back from the waterhole to the Pamarumu depot there. Now, Alfred Howard, in charge of the party, sent out by the Victorians to find Burke and Wills, had reached Menindi in early January 1862, and just a couple of days later, one of the bull camels attacked Muhammad, where he lost the use of his arm, which effectively disabled him for life. Muhammad appealed to the Victorian government for compensation, but was only ever paid £200, which is about twenty grand in today's money. He returned to Menindi and worked at the local bakery, and when he died in 1881, he was buried just out of town where he used to pray each day. And today his grave lies behind, behind, rather not behind, beside the Broken Hill Road, just a short distance from the centre of Menindi. And in 2006, the local shire restored the headstone and fence around the graveside. Now, from Menindi, we headed north, and from Tibberborough, we again took a lesser-used route and headed up via the Wampa Gate through the famous dog fence, where we crossed the border into Queensland. Then we turned east along the, I think it's the Thargawinda Road, to our subsequent search for Becker's Grave. After swinging through Tharamungay and turning west, we stopped at the uh, Nokaranda pub, camped down at the waterhole of the Wilson River there. And from there we headed to Cooper Creek and on its northern bank we stopped at the famous dig tree where much of the drama of the expedition played out. And you probably know the story of what happened here and go back to the start of the um, podcast. And you can also have a read of the book by Sarah Murgatroyd. It's called The Dig Tree. And in amongst the plethora of books by numerous people over the 160 odd years since the expedition, this is one probably one of the best and most readable books. We then headed for Inaminka and camped on the Cooper Creek or the town common in the shade of some tall old red gums, making sure we weren't too close to any overhanging branches. This is a top top camping spot wherever you uh, enjoy about inland Australia and everyone should come to this absolutely idyllic stretch of water sometime in their life. Of course, the famous Inaminka pub is a mighty fine attraction and always a top spot for a coldie and a meal, especially on a Sunday night when the weekly roast is on the menu. And if you're into the Burke and Will saga there, there's plenty of more important places to visit than in uh, the Inaminka. Uh, it's just a fantastic place. You can spend a few days wandering the creek there, not only visiting the dig tree, but checking out the places where Burke and Will's both passed away. It's also here where John King, the sole survivor of the party that reached the Gulf, he was found here. Now, while Wills' gravesite and the spot where King was discovered are downstream from the small township of Inaminka, Burke's grave is east of the town beside a waterhole just downstream from the Kaliamara waterhole, one of the longest and deepest stretches of water to be found anywhere on our inland. Most of the time, the tracks of these sites are graded and very dusty, but when there's heavy rain in the area of the Cooper floods, then the access tracks get closed off, so please be aware of that. The bodies of the explorers and the survivor king were found in September 1861 by the relief party led by Howard, and Howard had 
buried the bodies of Wills and Burke and then returned to Melbourne, but he was back on the Cooper in February 1862, tasked with the job of recovering the bodies of the Burke and, of Burke and Wills rather, and taking them back to Melbourne. Charlie Gray, who was the fourth member of the small party that crossed the continent to the Gulf, lies buried somewhere near or at Lake Massacre, west of Inaminka and south of the track that leads to the Kunji Lakes. There's quite a bit of conjecture about Charlie's final resting spot, but there's a plaque on a steel post at Lake Massacre, near where a tree blazed by the explorer John McKinley was discovered. McKinley had been sent out by the South Australian colony to search for the Wills Party, at Birkin Wills Party, in late October 1861, and had found the grave of a European here, possibly Grays. McKinley, fearing the worst, gave the dry lake name Lake Massacre. And we've been to this lonely site a couple of times over the year, but there's only a grave here it's hard to find. Sometime in the 1950s or early 1960s, Alex Towner, who was an early Birkin Wills devotee, had erected a sign close to the northern end of the lake on a steel pole. And we understand that the grave and the tree blazed by McKinley that marked that side of the burial in 1983 was refound, but others are not so sure that it is actually that. And researchers have gone back um, to find those sites again but have never been able to find the tree nor the sign and you do need special permission of the local station and the National Parks and Wildlife Service to get there and while there's no obvious tracks to the lake a fence line will get you close enough to the southern shores of the lagoon. From Inaminka we headed north to the Gulf where there's one grave associated with the Birkenwills expedition but you can't come this far and you have an interest in the expedition and not take the short diversion to camp 119 on the edge of the Bino River. This was Burke and Will's most northerly camp and one where leader Burke and his young 2IC Wills walked to and reached the gulf although because of the mangroves they couldn't see the sea. While that was a bugger for them, today it's easy for us and we headed to Normanton and then to Corumba to enjoy a view of the ocean and the setting sun, which is a magical moment in our crossing of the continent. The ill-fated explorers turned south from here and headed back to their depot at Cooper Creek, walking uh, somewhat into the history books, not as the most successful explorers that Australia has seen, but certainly the best known. The last and most northerly camp of Burke and Wills was discovered by Frederick Walker, who was the leader of one of the two parties sent out by the Queensland colony at the time. Now, Walker had gained a pretty notorious reputation while in charge of the native mounted police in Queensland during the 1850s, but he was a good, tough bushman. Leaving Rockhampton in August 1861, he headed for the Gulf where he rendezvoused with Captain Norman of the HMCSS Victoria, which had also been sent out by the Victorians to look, look for Burke and Wills. Walker discovered traces of the expedition on the Flinders River, as well as their most northerly camp at the Bino River, where he blazed a tree and mapped the site. He later then went on to survey the route of the telegraph line that came ashore at Burketown. And while here, he caught Blackwood fever dying a few days later in 1866, not too far from the homestead of Floraville Station, close to the falls on the Leichhardt River. We continued westward from Camp 119 and camped at the Leichhardt River near the falls of the same name. There was hardly a trickle of water over them, although large pools lay at the base of the now dry cliffs. Close by here is the grave of Frederick Walker and the station allows access to the site. We took the main track into the homestead and then a few hundred metres before the main buildings on the property swung left onto a graded track which left uh, led us to a short distance to Walker's final resting spot.
We paid our respects and with our enjoyable travels in finding the graves of these early brave pioneers over, we reluctantly turned south, but that's another story for another time. If you want to find out more, Travel Planner Following Burke and Wills Across Australia by Dave Phoenix is a great guy if you want to follow the explorers. To find out more and for the latest information regarding the Burke and Wills expedition, check out burkeandwillsnet.com. Uh, Birkenwheelsnet.au, the best maps for a dirt road journey across the continent, our HEMA maps, Outback New South Wales, Outback Queensland, and the Top End and Gulf Country maps. And you, and if you've uh, visited some of these locations, drop us a line. We'd love to get your take on it as well. And as I said, uh, visit that website, which is birkenwills.net.au, and you can retrace Birkenwills route uh, through the various relief expeditions right through. Um, and you can also, there's plenty of YouTube documentaries you can watch as well. That wraps up this week's edition of the Road Less Travelled podcast, where we followed the footsteps of Birkenwills, one of Australia's most famous uh, explorers and expeditions into the interior of Australia. Hope you've enjoyed it. If you want to find out more, jump onto our website, fatcatmedia.com.au. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And don't forget, too, to drop us a line to let us know how we're doing and give us a review and a like and a share. We'd muchly appreciate it. My name's Nikki Shea. You've been listening to the Road Less Travel Podcast, and I hope to catch it out there very soon on a road. Thanks very much for your company. Talk to you next week. Take care. Bye for now. Thanks for listening. The Road Less Travelled is presented by Nikki Shea and produced by Fat Cat Media. 